Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50% to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. Well, I think we've decanted for long enough. It's time to sit back and enjoy Two Sharp Reds with Mark Schwarzer and Ollie Geel. You're listening to the Two Sharp Reds with myself, Ollie the Casual Cowboy Geel, who's recently gone full-time, and Mark Schwarzer, Australia's third favourite son, fourth favourite silver fox, because the only reason why I say fourth, Mark, is you don't look as silver this time around. I'm, I don't want to speculate too much, but have you been dipping into the dye? That's all I'm going to say. Have I been dipping into the dye? Look at my beard. Yeah, it's it, not that salt and pepper, mate. It's, it's not- still very, very... Silver and it's got bits and pieces splattered <laughs> all throughout. If I were going to go, you know, get the grey, get yep. the grey washed out or, or painted out, I'd do it properly, wouldn't I? Well, it's my favourite time of the week, Mark, where we get to do this podcast. Try a new wine, which I'm thoroughly looking forward to. And of course, at the end of the episode, we will compare it to a player, past or present. And this week, it's my turn to bring in a bottle. And I just saw the cover, I saw the name, immediately thought of you. It's of course uh, the Naked on Roller Skates. By some young punks, and that just, I mean, that's got you all over it, doesn't it, Mark? I don't quite understand where you're, getting, where you're coming from, because, you know, roller skating, I didn't do that, uh, well, the last time I roller skated was back in, I would say, the late 80s. Right. Um, naked, not yet. Not Haven't thought it. about you, it. You would have done some naked skiing. On no, not yet. No, I'm waiting for the warmer months to come along. Sure. Once you go into spring, then we yeah. can start talking about naked skiing. Well, this is a beautiful wine. It looks like it's a 2018 Shiraz from the Clare Valley. Um, but the, these winemakers from some young punks, I'll just read some of the other names of uh, wines that they've brought out, see if you recognise any of these ones. Uh, they've got the Double Love Trouble. Never heard of it. The Squid's Fist. No. <laughs> oh, this is the uh, Naked on Roller Skates. Uh, you've got the Monsters and the Monsters Attack. And have you heard of the Quickie? I've heard of a Quickie. Yeah. Well, that's they've bottled it. Wow. Yeah, so... That's pretty impressive, that. So they are, you know what? what? Every one of those names that you read out to me, I think that is more of in your sort of category, your genre. Right. I don't think it's really in my genre. No, I'm looking at I'm looking at the cover, and that's you. I've seen a picture of you in your little 80s gear you have. going s- skiing, and yes. I'm like, that's just the snow version. That is the <laughs> snow version of that cover. So, Mark, FA Cup weekend, interesting weekend if uh, you've got your team playing in it. Of course, if your team is not in the competition, it can be a little bit of a, bit of a week off almost, but the magic of the cup will never die. But some people say it might, some people say it will. How do you still see the, the magic of the FA Cup? Is it important to you? Very much so. I think it's, um, listen, we all know it's the oldest uh, cup competition on the planet and the tradition that goes with it is phenomenal. And the magic of the FA Cup was there again this weekend. Okay, we didn't have any major upsets. Well, I suppose if you go talk about form guide, you talk about teams, uh, positions in various leagues and you look at the game Shrewsbury against 
Liverpool, that's probably the closest we got to an upset. And I think it still is a bit of an upset that Shrewsbury actually got a result, um, particularly when Liverpool are 2-0 up. And, you know, Liverpool did make a lot of changes, of course. However, they still had a, a very experienced core of the team. And uh, in the end, I think... They're a little bit fortunate still to be in the cop competition. They absolutely are. I think you're spot on there. When you look at the lineup, there were some pretty obvious, you know, you go, okay, well, you've got the likes of the young Elliot coming in, and you go, that's, you know, that's sort of his level. But still, you know, certainly in defence as well, they were a, a pretty strong Liverpool lineup. Because I guess the thing about where Liverpool find themselves in at the moment is the fact that, you know, they're doing so well, but they want to win everything that they possibly can. Well, I'm not quite sure. I'm not. I mean, obviously, with the League Cup, they they showed that they didn't want to. They were not, they weren't interested. The club uh, World Club Cup competition was more important to them. They'd never won it before, and obviously, it paid dividends because all their eggs in that basket, and they won it. Whereas the FA Cup, I, I'm not saying that they wanted to to lose the game, and I, and I think he thought he had still a strong enough side, and and, and on paper he should have uh, Minamino, Origi up front, obviously together with Elliot. Um, Fabino in midfield. We've got Matip and Lovren at center halves and, and Adrian in goal. So we're talking about that core of the team, the spine of the team. That was very much a very, very strong side. Um, but they were arguably, particularly Lovren and Matip, I thought were very, very poor. Um, Shrewsbury made them look very, very average. So, uh, disappointing for them you know for Liverpool and and the game a replay that Liverpool can ill afford and didn't want and it's clear that they didn't want it they almost would have in that scenario they go well I'd actually prefer to lose than than have to replay because we've seen already that Jurgen Klopp has said that no senior players will be involved in the FA Cup fourth round replay and he won't even manage the team so Neil Critchley will be in charge now, there's a part of you that understands this. I think it's fair enough. You go, absolutely, they've played more football than any other team in the planet right now. But for Jurgen Klopp to not even manage the side, I think, is a little bit poor. Yeah, I mean, he did it in the League Cup semi-final uh, at Villa Park, and obviously they were beaten convincingly on that day and knocked out of the competition, whereas you know, this is the FA Cup, so it is different, and I'm, I'm a little bit disappointed with it. I wish that Liverpool... Because, listen, you want... Ultimately, you you want the the you know the, the the spirit of the FA Cup to continue. You want the 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 upsets to happen. You want uh, the minnows to to really push the top teams along the way. And and obviously, Shrewsbury have done that with Liverpool. Um, but you also ultimately want the big teams there. And you know, I remember as a kid growing up watching Liverpool Everton in FA Cup finals, and they were like massive. And that's what you want to see. You want to see the big teams that are there. Liverpool are the best team on the planet at the moment. So, I, I mean, obviously, we're, we're talking as if they're out of the competition already, but they're not. But the likelihood is, I would think, even, you know, the, the, the second string, or actually not even a second string, it's a third or a fourth string Liverpool team, uh, I don't think will beat uh, Shrewsbury at home. So that worries me. I, I wish that Liverpool would actually play a stronger side. I wish... Because Anfield, if Liverpool played that same team in Anfield, I think they would beat Shrewsbury quite convincingly with the support uh, you know, of, of, of the whole of Anfield being packed. Um, I think that would carry them over the line quite easily. And I want to see Liverpool there. I want to see Liverpool in the cup. I want to see them pushing. Listen, they've almost won the league. It's almost wrapped up. 
and I understand it's they've never accomplished it in the in in the current format. They've obviously won titles before, but not the current format. So they want to get that monkey off their back kind of thing, and I get that. But they've almost done it, and the Champions League is obviously important. But I think they're still capable enough to continue with the, with with the FA Cup. You look at the other teams around. You look at the teams in the Premier League. You know, Man City obviously, or for me, is still going to be their biggest rival in the cup competition. But I think Liverpool have got a massive possibility of if they still stay in the FA Cup to win the FA Cup to win the Premier League and Champions League. Who knows? If they win, they win the you know if they get in the FA Cup final, they get to they win the Premier League. It's momentum, and the Champions League is then the the last one that they could actually. I mean, what they could win a treble. What what an occasion that would be. Huge, huge, but equally as big for Shrewsbury. This was so good. The passion was there. We saw the pitch invasion at the end, and we saw in action, possibly for some people for the first time ever, one of the great characters, it seems, in Jason Cummings scores uh, a brace uh, to to get those two goals for Shrewsbury Town. And how good is this? Yeah, yeah. listen, the first one was a penalty. Yeah. Um, and you still got you, you got to be calm enough, confident enough to step up and, and take that penalty. And he did it very coolly. And Adrian went the wrong way, and he slotted it back the other way, um, and then obviously to score the the equaliser, which was which was a good finish under a bit of pressure, and he slots it away really nicely. So um, it's brilliant. I mean, we 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 know now that it, that he's there's a possibility he could play for Australia. There's a chance he yeah. could come and still play for Australia, even though he's played for Scotland already. But they're non-competitive games. I'd be very very surprised if Graham Arnold wouldn't be kind of desperate for him to be involved because he looks a proper character. He looks like he's someone like not afraid to roll his sleeves up. Mm. That's what we need. We need players like that, particularly in the Asian Confederation when we come up against the tough opponents like that. We need to have players that are prepared to roll his sleeves up and really, you know, dig deep and win games. And, and he's sh- definitely shown that character. And we need goals as well we, yes. on, on the big stage. And he's, you know, you're looking at his senior career. It's been a little bit up and down. He spent, it looks like his most successful sort of period Period between 2013-17 with Hibbs up in Scotland. He had 114 appearances and 55 goals. Since then, he's been out on loan at various places, Nottingham Forest. We've got Rangers, Peterborough, Luton, and now Shrewsbury. So it, we need a little bit of consistency, quite clearly, to, to get too excited. But certainly 55 goals in 114 for Hibbs, that, that's a sensational record. Yeah, maybe. I mean, if you look at 2018, from 2018 onwards... Uh, well, actually, even talking about Nottingham Forest, because he was a player at Nottingham Forest up until 2019. But in 2018, he went to Rangers alone, was a bit part player, played 15 games and scored only two goals. At Peterborough on loan as well, again, in the same season, you know, 22 games, only six goals. And then he went to Luton Town alone, only played five games. And then this year, he's finally he's at, he's signed permanently at Shrewsbury Town. He needs to get those game run of games under his belt. He needs to find a home. He needs to to find the back of the net more consistently. Uh, however, he's still an exciting player. And 24 years of age, which I'm not going to say he's aged, but yeah, I certainly thought that he was a little bit older than that. Having said this, Mark, there's one concern that I have, and this is something that I take Only one? Seriously. I think you're doing well, mate, if you've only got one concern. I've only got the one concern. It's his nickname. Yes. The cum dog. Yes. Not sure how I feel about it. No, no. It's not one that you'd really be... I don't know. I don't really think I'd be that that proud of that one. No. From anyone's perspective. No. Imagine if, if, you know, someone's daughter brought brought him home and he said, this is is Jason, the cum dog. You go, hmm, nice to meet you, Jason, but here's the door. 
Um, I think I just shut the door when yeah. the door opened up. I wouldn't even let him in. So, continuing on with the theme of the FA Cup, uh, your thoughts on Man City? They had a, a pretty dominant 4-0 win over your old side, Fulham. Um, red card early on for Fulham certainly didn't help. But I suppose the, the only real story to come out of this game was the attendance where Pep Guardiola, he said he wanted more Man City fans there. Uh, we all know that there's jokes about it being called the empty had. And yes, if you were to compare it to an Old Trafford or an, a- or an Anfield, yeah, okay, it looks a little you, empty. You're just buzzing because it's taken some of the focus and the attention away from the Etihad, the yeah. empty had. You love it. Over it. We uh, all love it. It's sorry, at Emirates, sorry, Emirates. Yeah. Emirates, <laughs> empty Emirates. Yeah. I don't know, I don't know. But anyway, that stadium over there that they can never fill these days because everyone keeps walking out. It did look poor, though. The whole... Top tier, pretty much. Was we, oh, hang on, who are we talking about? Are we talking about Arsenal we're now? Or are we talking about, about Man City? The empty had. Okay. But looking at this, though, Mark, the attendance was thirty nine thousand. Yes. So they were only missing just shy of fifteen thousand in the crowd in general. No, that's right, and that's you know it just goes to show you the support that Manchester City have had. Uh, they've always had huge support, and then there are people who criticise the fact that there are there are they've become almost like a new club since the change of ownership. Uh, Main Road was a phenomenal place to go and watch a game of football, uh, and even and, and to play a game of football, which I was fortunate enough to have played in and watch a game in. So um, it was great, and a lot a lot of diehard diehard Man City fans from Main Road, from what I understand, a lot of them actually didn't go across really? to the Etihad. Um, because it, for them, the club died once it left Main Road. Um, and, it, and, it is, and it is a different environment. It's, it's always the same. It's like, you know, when you go to the Emirates, you know, having been to, to Highbury, having played games there, watched games there, it, it, it's so different. Mm. And I can imagine, I can only imagine what it's like as a fan who's been there for so long supporting their team in a stadium like, like say Highbury or like Main Road, and then all of a sudden you go into this brand new complex, you go into this new stadium, state of the art, and it feels lifeless, soulless. Mm. You've got to create new history, new memories in the stadium. But on the other hand, with Manchester City, their history actually—I mean, their, their most successful period in their history kind of has begun yeah. at the Etihad. So it's a it's an amazing opportunity for them to 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 rewrite the history books. However, on every occasion I've been there, um, the atmosphere has been been a bit strange, a bit of a letdown. In terms of, I mean, if I mean, quite clearly, what chanting, uh, or is it just atmosphere in general? Yeah, so both been... a bit of everything. There's there's a level of expectation now uh, around Manchester City, and and there's and obviously the bars set so high. And the last couple of seasons they've played such great football, and this season they've been really inconsistent. There's this, there's this, uh, this kind of non-existent uh, love affair of the Champions League by by Manchester City fans. Uh, they kind of tend to either don't go to games or are very negative about UEFA and about the Champions League competition in itself. And uh, that's been really disappointing when you go there and watch a game. Um, and that, to me, needs to change because Manchester City, they want to be one of the biggest clubs in the world, which that's their aim. They've got to win. They've got to embrace the Champions League. They've got to try and win the Champions League. And the way that you do that is, is you create an atmosphere and you create an amazing atmosphere within the stadium. It starts with the fans. It's, then it continues on it, it, and it f- overflows onto the football pitch more often than not. And, uh, I mean, I had a... Uh, okay, not in the Champions League, but in the Europa League, UEFA Cup to begin with at Middlesbrough and then with Fulham. The atmosphere within that stadium you create, uh, by the, well, the fans created, was, was 
incredible. Mm. And it lifted the team. It gave you extra legs. It gave you extra momentum. And, and it was an intimidation factor on the opposition. Whereas the Etihad, like I said, I've been there quite a lot of games in the Champions League. And for away teams, it's, it's a bit of a stroll to go there. Really? There's no intimidation. There's no kind of feeling that the fans are right up for it. Yes, you look at the opposition. You look at your team that you're playing against. You look at the Manchester City lineup, and you go, "There's that, what a team they are." But often, more often than not, they start quite lethargically, mm. and they don't really get into it. And, and the the atmosphere is kind of carried on into the into the starting eleven. So, from a fan's perspective, especially if you're from Australia coming over to visit, for example. Would you be firmly in the category of, okay, well, go to your Eddie Hads, go to your Old Traffords to sort of tick that off the bucket list almost. But it's these places like a Craven Cottage that just have a totally different environment and atmosphere to it. Because I'm a firm, firm believer of that. One of my favourite places to watch football is Loftus Road. Yep. I just love it. I just think it just is so... So tight and just you feel it and it's real and it's honest and it's just yeah. special. I, I can imagine Loftus Road. I mean, I, I've played there lots of times as well. Um, and, and the close proximity of the fans with the players is is also a little bit intimidating. Yeah. So you've, oh, I can't remember, the, I think the, the capacity is around 18,000, 19,000, but it feels bigger because of that closeness of the fans. And they're, they're literally, you're hearing everything they're saying, they're saying to you. And uh, that is that is special. Craven Cottage is a little bit different now because they've lost their main stand and they're rebuilding, and it's going to be a different atmosphere again. Mm. But it was it was amazing. It was an amazing occasion. European nights. They were so special. Um, no, but like, listen, nothing beats. If you're a fan coming over, you've got to go to Liverpool. You've got to go to Old Trafford. So Anfield, Old Trafford, 100%. I'd even, I'd even say, go so far as saying, you know, go, go to Everton. Go to Goodison before it's no longer Goodison, before it moves away. Because, it, again, it's a very unique atmosphere. Um, Watford, go to a Watford, Watford? game. Yeah, absolutely. I wouldn't have, I wouldn't have Yeah, no, that. It's, 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 an, it's a good atmosphere. Uh-huh. It's got Crystal Palace. Yeah. Great ground to go and watch football. In terms of atmosphere, I'm not saying necessarily... You know, listen. The stands are the stands terrible in terms of how much room you got or how little room you have. I've been there and I can't even sit straight in the in the seat. I have to sit on an angle. Yeah, but you're um, a man giant. Yeah, fair. no. But I even I've been up. I think I think uh, most of the time now I actually don't even go out in the stand and watch the game. I stay in the media room to watch on the screens. That doesn't surprise me. No, because you get a better view. You get a better right. view. You get the the uh, you get the replays, and you get a comfort of a chair that I've got space. and I can stretch my legs out in the stand. Yeah, there is zero room. Have you done New Tottenham Stadium? Yes. Thoughts? Amazing. Yeah. I mean, it's it's different. So you've got to go. Yeah, absolutely. Go to the new Tottenham Tottenham Hotspur Stadium because that is on another level again. But you've definitely got to go to the traditional stadiums. Go to St James's Park. Mm. It's awesome. Have you been to Tranmere? Because as we saw in the FA Cup, I mean... And I've lost that, an FA Cup game there as have well. Have you really? I have, yeah. And was the pitch just as yes. bad? I turned it on and I went... I, I started laughing. My son was going, Dad, how bad is that pitch? And I, I started laughing. And he goes, what are you talking about? What's wrong? What are you laughing? And I go, that's, that's how I remember it. That's when I played FA Cup game there. I played there with Middlesbrough and we got knocked out by Tranmere Rovers. That, I can't remember his name, but that a guy that could throw the ball in a, for a throw-in, I would say... I'd say minimum 40 metres long. Jeez. And it didn't go like a cross. It went like a bullet. Right. Low trajectory, but 
he was dead aim and it caused all sorts of problems because you couldn't really as a goalkeeper you couldn't come out as a as a defender it was difficult because if the forward made the right run he'd always get in front and flick it on yeah and then there'd be those runs and it was so difficult to defend of against course. and we got like i said we got knocked out by them well, that was, I mean, it was a horrific pitch. It was hilarious for Manchester United. Uh, you know, I mean, I'm not going to say they're going to do the same to Old Trafford, but maybe they should think about waterlogging it. 6-0 <laughs> win. I mean, the story of it, of course, we saw Harry Maguire's first goal. Jesse Lingard scored in, in what feels like a million years as well. Uh, but it was just that pitch that you just looked at it and you just thought to yourself, I mean, what is going on? It, funny, I, I agree, but is it? Borderline should have been rescheduled or moved elsewhere. Where? How? Um, borderline? No, no. It's generally if it's unplayable. And it what constitute? What, what? 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 Obviously, wasn't six nil is not unplayable. Yeah, um, yeah. And 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 you know, if Tramir had won the game three or four nil, you'd be going, well, okay, that's a bit unfair because they're used to the pitch and everything. They weren't. They clearly weren't, and and able to handle. Uh, Manchester United but you know doing a little bit of research we, we know now that Tramir Rovers share the ground with Liverpool's women and their reserve teams so which is interesting because I know when Chelsea's women team were playing at one of the, the lower league teams um, in the area they, they actually their ground staff managed the pitch and the pitch was always really good, mm. really nice. And for a non-league football team, uh, lower division, the pitch was one of the best ones in the league by far. And the Chelsea women's team played there. And, and it was because Chelsea managed the pitch. I don't know whether Liverpool ground staff or Liverpool have a ground staff that are looking after it or whether they just contribute uh, a certain number of uh, – certain certain figure or funds to it mm-hmm. and Tramier then are left to, to kind of deal with it. And it clearly, whatever, whatever they're doing – is not working. No. It needs to be readdressed because I can't imagine Liverpool being happy with playing their women's team there nor, no. their, nor their reserve team there. I mean, imagine sending your reserves there and you've got, I don't know, Shakiri, Lovren, Matip. You wouldn't be sending them there. No. You wouldn't be allowing them to play on those sort of pitches. You'd be so afraid that they come back and come back from an injury and they get injured again. Mm. Um, those pitches are prone for players getting injured, particularly today. And in the olden days, it was a bit different because players were used to playing on it. And, so, and the physicalities were different. So just shedding a bit of light on to, to so what, why? Are we talking if, if it's so muddy and, and almost if there's puddles, what ankles can get almost stuck and then you're well, it's that, twisting in? Yeah, not having a grip, or, your, your body movement. So you're trying to make sudden movements. That's when people do their ACLs, mm. as you know. You know, people can twist and turn and your footing gives way. You're relying on it to to be set and ready uh, to spring, to, to change direction. And then all of a sudden your foot gives way because of the conditions and how bad the conditions are. Um, and then there's the, the simple side of it, playing, playing a ball along the ground for someone trying to control. And Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. It's so difficult to do. Um, but like we said, Manchester United, obviously, it all worked for them. Mm. And 
there was something about it and you may have you may be onto something maybe they need to turn old trafford into um into the new Prenton Park. How good would that be? But it was a surprise in the sense that one thing you don't associate with Manchester United, certainly in this current crop specifically, is is that sort of ability to be able to grit their teeth and play in that kind of environment. Like if you almost you looked at the the you know the players that were that were going to be out there, you looked at the pitch, you thought, "Geez, this has got Tranmere almost written all over it." Like a, just a really you know hard fought out, maybe one or two nil kind of victory. But I was really impressed with the way United were able to kind of. Oh, they went soft almost, you know. Yeah, well, even uh, Tramier Rovers goalkeeper, Scott Davies, he, he's the captain of the side. He came out, he's a Manchester City fan. Uh, right. Let's put it out there straight away. And he was saying this is a perfect opportunity for them to play. Opportunity against Manchester United, a side that are clearly nowhere near uh, their best. And, and, and sort of kind of made the, the reference that they, they uh, are not such a good team. And Ole Gunnar Solskjaer apparently walked past him in the tunnel before the match and thanked him for uh, you know, contributing towards lifting his players for this game as well as the Manchester United fans. Love it, and uh, it obviously worked a treat. And and it was it was a kind of it's a rarity that that he also said I think post match in his press conference that he then he mentioned it mm. uh, or his interviews post match that he that he was that he that he thanked him for for the uh, the actual added incentive. But you're right, you know, you look at you look at the Manchester United side, and and this is the thing, Ole Gordon Solskjaer knows. He's got very limited opportunities to win any type of silverware at Old Trafford. This is one of them, mm. particularly with Liverpool doing what they're doing. Liverpool obviously clearly now not prioritising the FA Cup. Um, and Manchester City, hot and cold. You don't know what you're going to get with Manchester City at the moment. And one-off games is possible. We saw Manchester United go to, go to the Etihad and, 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 and beat them early on in the season. So Liv- Liv- uh, Manchester United clearly put out a very strong side mm. and with the intent to go out there and make sure there are no banana skins there isn't, there isn't, there isn't a slip up, and they're there through to the next round, and they've clearly done that. Halftime drinks here on the two shot reds. What do you make of the naked on roller skates at the moment? Yeah, it's uh, it's very strong. It's the strongest wine we've tried so far, and it's got um, it's got a bit of a well, definitely got a very very strong mm-hmm. uh, aftertaste and long lasting taste. Um, yeah, I, I would I you you need a really big chunk of red meat to eat with this one really oh, yeah. big and i think that would be really enjoyable i i wouldn't necessarily pick the, I, no i wouldn't i wouldn't pick it so mark i was asked um last week uh from a few aussie guys that i met they wanted to know a little bit they, they felt like that they were out of the system when it came to following football english football felt like it might have been you know five six years since they last really were able to sink their teeth in they wanted to sort of Get a bit of an update on sleeping giants okay. in in English Premier League or or in in England. All right, and you've got your you've got some obvious ones with you know Leeds, what they could possibly do, and in particular, I'm really excited to see what Brentford might be able to achieve in the way that they're sort of almost restructuring the way that people go about about uh, things. You, know, you never know what Portsmouth might do. Obviously, your old club in Middlesbrough, Fulham. There's a few out there, but one in particular. Is uh, is Newcastle St James's Park is is beautiful. It is such a an amazing sporting city. Well, certainly when it comes to football, and they're looking at a potential takeover of three hundred and forty million pounds uh, from the uh, Saudi Arabia's sovereign wealth fund, and there are advanced talks. That is a lot of money. It's a, a, a an enormous amount of money, 
And again, Mike actually obviously is a, a, a successful businessman. Whether you like him or don't, or whether you loathe him, he has success and he knows how to run a business. Newcastle, uh, from my understanding, are in a, in, a, in, a, in a solid financial position and far better than what they've been in the past, by all accounts. Um, and if, if the deal is right, and it seems like that was kind of the figure that he was talking about when there were earlier bids made for the club uh, maybe six months ago, 12 months ago. So whether that whether his evaluation of the club has, has, has grown since then, I'm not really sure. However, you know, I, I would envisage that it, so long as everything is okay, as long as everything, you know, the funds are there and it's approved by the, the Premier League, I'd be surprised if it didn't go through. The world's their oyster, though, if it did go through. Honestly, I think I've been to their facilities once and I was blown away. I thought that was very impressive. I've seen the, the stadium. It's just incredible. The the city itself is just... So yeah, I'm sure you would have watched my segment with Optus Sport uh, going around talking to the to the locals of Newcastle. And bloody hell, they love their, they love their Newcastle United. My God, I think we were there on a Tuesday, like four weeks before the season started, and everyone was just wearing their shirts. Yeah, Newcastle, uh, the love affair of their team, their supporters, is unquestionable. And their dedication, their commitment, their their presence on the street is is enormous. And the whole northeast was like that to a large degree. Sunderland, Middlesbrough. There was a period of time when all three teams were in the Premier League, or two out of the three were in the Premier League. And say, if it were not Middlesbrough and Newcastle, Sunderland were in the Championship, and then the odd odd occasion it swapped around a little bit. And all three clubs in the northeast were like that. The, the the level of support within the, the the regions, the home cities, was through the roof. Enormous. You, t- you touched on last week's uh, episode that you signed for Middlesbrough without having gone there. Yep. Uh, originally, so when you did go to Middlesbrough, were you pretty blown away by the support, or was it a, yeah, a slightly bit. different level to no, Newcastle? Liverpool? No, sorry, I was a little bit. Yeah, I was a little bit surprised. Just be, I was told how how enthusiastic they were. I was told how much of a support um, the, the fans were giving the club, particularly in the first season in the new stadium, uh, the 96-97 season, then obviously you go there and you see it and you go, wow, this is, this is, this is insane. This is brilliant. Um, and, and obviously I was there for nearly 12 years. So then you get to know the region a little bit better. You get to know the rivalry more so. You've played a lot of derby matches, which are, which are brilliant to play in. And you see the the support from all those three teams in the northeast. Obviously, with Middlesbrough now and Sunderland, that that, that support has waned a little bit, and it's been scarred a little bit. It's been dragged through the mud a little bit, more so because of the, the club's performances. Dropping down the leagues for Sunderland has been been terrible, um, because Sunderland, Sunderland are another huge club, huge club, fantastic stadium, and uh, nothing beats all three teams in the northeast being in the Premier League at one time. Because the rivalry is so severe and so fierce, it's brilliant. It's brilliant to play in. So I'd love to see them back in there. But Newcastle, they are definitely on paper, I think, the biggest club out of the three. Mm. And the support has been unwavering for the last, well, since I've been in this country, 20-odd years. Mm. No matter how badly the team's done, no matter how many times the club's been relegated back and forth, and they've always stuck with their team. Very rarely do you see St. James's Park um, if not full, very, very close to being full. Um, there has been the odd occasions, and, and obviously this season they've had a couple of issues with Steve Bruce, the fans per se, and the appointment and losing Rafa Benitez. However, um, 
it's it's a, it's a wonderful place to go and watch football, and a, and and the support is infectious. And um, I loved I loved playing there. I loved playing against them, particularly when I was playing for Middlesbrough. I loved going there and winning, which we did on the odd occasion, not very often. Um, and the rivalries, whether it was at the Riverside or whether it was at uh, St James's Park, um, and then for that matter, the Stadium of Light with Sunderland was 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 phenomenal. The northeast of England, in particular, when talking about people who live there and, and the fans, they provide some of the biggest characters that I've met in this country. They're sensational. So, if you're there for how long? Twelve years, did you say, in Middlesbrough? Almost twelve years. So, you must have met some proper characters. I mean, other than sort of maybe towards the end, you must have had some of the great run-ins. Surely, down down the down the shop, or or were you were you posh back then too? Or did you not? No, I was a little bit. Interact? I was a little bit out of Middlesbrough. I didn't live in Middlesbrough, and for that very reason, because I knew the level of support. I knew they were very, very, very passionate about their club. And when you're, I, I, I was in Germany, and I was living in Kaiserslautern. And it's a small town, and it's a one-team town, and everything you do is is scrutinised. Everything is watched. You are in the middle of it all. And I didn't want to be in that environment. So when I signed for Middlesbrough, I made sure I was on the outskirts more. Mm-hmm. So, and my wife was working at the time, so we had to find an area that worked for both of us. And funny enough, the distance was far greater for me to travel to training, but it took me less time to get to training than did my wife to get to work from where we lived, um, purely because of traffic. Right. And the, the traffic going into Leeds, and my wife was working in Leeds. So we, po- we picked a place called Harrogate, which is a beautiful place, and people will go, oh, you know, it's all the posh Harrogate and all that sort of stuff. And it, and it, and it can be. Um, but it, uh, it was on the out, on the outskirts quite a bit on the outskirts so you got away from it all and you could still go out for a meal after a game regardless of result and you wouldn't be disturbed if the result didn't go so well and there was a bad performance and you went out for a meal in Middlesbrough a lot of fans would let you know and I know a lot of my teammates had that experience surely you wouldn't go out though because I we've seen footage of uh, uh, I think it was Jordan Pickford last night he had a really particularly bad game for Everton and it was just it was nasty like it yeah. was it must frustrate you when you st- certainly, probably certainly even yourself, growing up in Australia where it's so not like that at all, yeah. really, yeah. even if in, in any other code, you know, well, you, you might get a little bit. But, but you kind of have both, can you? So growing up in Australia, um, you know, there were like 10 people and their dog who were interested in playing football, you know, and, you know, when I was playing for Marconi, there was eight, 9,000 people watching the game, sometimes 10, 12, depending on who you played against. And in and around the club, you know, it was it was mayhem, and the support was incredible and amazing. We had a wonderful time. Outside of that, the minute you walked out the door and kind of went down the street a little bit, no one cared. No one even knew who you were. So you had that anonymity, and therefore then the rewards were far less. Whereas here, you have ph- phenomenal rewards, but with that comes responsibility, and, and uh, you lose your anonymity to a large degree. And the only thing I would say is, why can't you still go out for a meal? And that was the thing. I, I never went out, out, or very rarely did I go out, out, night clubbing and drinking all night. No. Just the simple thing of people going out with their family, with their wife, with their kids and having a meal, they were confronted by our rate fans. And I think that's out of order. I think that shouldn't happen. And unfortunately, people's emotions get the better of them. And that, that did happen. And still does happen to a degree um so to go out and party and go to nightclubs and everything else i i think is wrong from the player 
there is a there is a level of responsibility and um, I think you, you you should keep a lower profile when particularly when things are not going so well. So Mark, a couple of weeks ago we played a game uh, the choose your own ending. Uh, we picked picked one topic, didn't go with the other, which was talking about Aaron Moy and Matty Ryan, and it is so good that we have waited because since that conversation, Aaron Moy has now signed a permanent three and a half year deal with Brighton from Huddersfield. He's been, it was a bit of a rocky start. I remember he got that red card and we're thinking, oh no, what's going on? But he's been superb, scored a couple of great goals. He's an excitement machine for Brighton, exactly what they need. And it's just so nice to know that we've got another Australian just locked into the Premier League system for the foreseeable future. Yeah, absolutely. And he has been, he has been very, very good for Brighton. Actually, I think he's been better for Brighton than he was at Huddersfield. And I think it's because... Well, they're a better he- team. To be fair, yeah, that, that's and that's that's my point. That was my next point. Was that 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 uh, Brighton are a better side, man for man, better players around him, and I think uh, Aaron Moy is one of those players that I think the better players he has around him, the better he'll be, and actually he he could become a far better player in a better team. He needs the players around him to have that movement because I think his understanding of the game, his knowledge of the game, his reading of the game is far superior than than a lot of players, and I think that. He wouldn't look out of place in a Chelsea, in a, in a Liverpool midfield. He wouldn't look out of place. The only area where there's a question mark with for me, Farah Moy, is his, his pace, his mobility around midfield. That's the only thing. But if you have the right players around, I think he would be very well suited. You could have almost seen him, if he stuck around at Man City, he wouldn't have played a lot, but you could have seen him coming off the bench, certainly in an FA Cup game, and, yeah, and but, wouldn't have looked out of place. But I think that's not enough either. And, and Man City no. is one of those clubs, is one of the few clubs in this country where they have an abundance of midfield players. Like, And, and when I say an abundance of midfield players, world-class midfield players, mm. that's the one area they don't struggle with. Mm. And, and it's a case of whether it's, you know, uh, you've got David Silva, you've got De Bruyne, you know, you've got Mares. They, they can play anywhere in midfield all the time. And the list goes on. There's, there's you know, Fernandinho can, should be playing there. Rodri's there. There's so many players, but Gundogan, phenomenal players. Phil Foden, I think it was the right decision for Aaron Moy. If Aaron Moy were 21 years old, then maybe not. But the fact that he's, that he's, that he's a bit older, he needed to move on. He needed to get that opportunity and, and play regular football. And... Um, he, he's becoming a better player by playing regularly and playing with playing with better players. What happens if Brighton get relegated from here? What what's the Matty Ryan's been there for a bit longer, so you never know what mm. might happen with him. But certainly, if you've been locked in for three and a half years, you can't imagine he'd be going anywhere. Well, there's all sorts of things that happen when you when you sign for a club that you know is obviously Brighton of. <sighs> putting this in the right way they've punched above their weight for for quite some time now and they're trying to establish themselves as a regular team in the Premier League which they have managed to do in the last couple of years are they are they now seen as a team that will are pretty secure in the Premier League no so they're a team that 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 are always in my opinion are seen as a team that will flirt with the with the ideas of potentially being sucked into a relegation dogfight and by no means are they out of out of out of that fight. They they're still in that fight, but they need to try and progress to that next level. And 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 uh, the the changing in, in the style of football now is is something that's going to take them a little bit of time. 
when you become a more of a ball playing team, a more technical side, you need to kind of you, you obviously level the type of player that you need is a uh, I think is 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 a, a slightly more expensive player, a better player, and it's going to be a challenge for Brighton now to start to slowly bring in those players and and better quality players um, to fit the system that they want to play. Um, the danger is that they in transition in that period of changing the system and changing the style of play that they get sucked in and possibly end up being relegated and that plan goes out the window. Um, but at the moment, let's fingers crossed they continue. Matty Ryan continues to play really well. Aaron Moy continues along the journey that he's on. And I could see, particularly Aaron, in the next couple of seasons, if they stay in the league, potentially going on to another club again. Of similar standard? No, or better. Higher? higher standard. Where, 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 where do you think? Where is his... Okay, how about this then? So not just where he could go, because you're right, he could go to an excellent team and just be on the bench, right? No, but no, no, Where would he go that's perfect for him, stepping up a, a level in standard, but he would still have a starting spot? Well, this, this is the big question, Mark. And, and, and when, you, when you look at the teams and you go, okay, uh, what is the next step up for him? Who is a club? You know, I, I, I think someone like, Excuse me. Someone like Everton would have been a great move for him. I think he would slot into that Everton Everton team immediately, and I think he would he would actually be the engine room of that of that midfield. I'm surprised someone like Everton weren't interested in him, and I think that would have been a big step up, like a bigger step up for him, and it would have been a really good step up for him. And I think he could have been really good there. Um, and and that's the kind of level for me that that you, Aaron would be looking at. Um, and he wouldn't. He wouldn't look at a place one bit. If anything, he'd be. He'd look even better. Have you found that you've sort of discovered that unexpected love affair with the bottle as it's gone on, or is it sort of first sip was very much he knew what you were expecting for the whole entire way through? No, it was a bit a bit of a shock, the first sip, and that shock has stayed with me because it's so intense, and uh, it's it's almost like. I don't really like it, but it's almost like when I'm when I'm eating a, a nice big chunk of steak, I need it because it, it just it's such a good fit. And so, like I said, if I were to choose it, if I had a choice, I wouldn't pick it. However, when you've got it, you actually realize how good a fit it is. So, in saying that. That's where I go on to comparing it to a player that I played with. And this is a player that you heard all the rumors about um, his personality. He's not, he wasn't really that well liked at places. He left clubs and the fans turned on him very, very quickly. He was someone that supposedly had his own nickname that he demanded players call him by. It wasn't the cum dog? Definitely not the cum dog. It was the governor. The governor? And uh, we signed him at Middlesbrough. I know it. You know I think it? I know it. I'd be sh- I think based on the CV, okay. it's, it's not Incy Wincy Spider. It is. It's Paul, Paul Ince. Yeah, that midfield uh, general, the governor. The governor. The big governor. And, uh, and it's one of those ones where, like I said, if I had a choice of many, many midfielders in that kind of era and that ilk, just purely on reputation, you probably wouldn't have picked him because you think maybe it would... Uh, Upset the apple cart, mm-hmm. but then when you've got it, you go, okay, I get why that works, and I get how that fits together really well, and he fitted in really well f- for our team. I mean, I, I love, 
I love footballers. I love the world that you're in. But it's just bizarre, some of the egos. I'm sorry. I mean, I think it's fantastic. I, I, Don't think for a second I would have loved to walk into my workplace and be like, hi, my name's Ollie, but, but just by the way, I'm the governor. You call me so, the governor. Yeah. You call, you, you call me the governor. Yeah. I, I, don't, I don't know how true it was, but... He was very spiky when I when I uh, or very prickly when I when I said it. it, and I remember one time as well. He's on he's getting a massage in the change room, and uh, massive big change room, and the door was quite a bit further away around the corner a little bit. And you know you get you get a lot of the youth academy kids come in or the reserve kids come in and that, and they'd knock on, they'd, they'd come in and they'd ask if players would sign a shirt. They'd be whatever their friends, relatives, whatever. Anyway, so this kid had come in one day. It actually wasn't the only one, but this is on this occasion. This kid comes in and Inti's getting a rub on the table uh, from the masseur, and he's coming. He starts asking players, "Will you sign this?" Oh, yeah, no problem. Sign the shirt. Going around, going around, and Inti would like look up and go, "What's going on here?" Hey, did you knock? And the kid would go, like, we start trembling and go, "Yeah." He goes, "I didn't hear it. Get out." And that was it. And he like, he'd be the kid would be like standing. There. He goes, "I told you to get out. Now get out." I'd be like, Inti, come on, the kid's, he's fine. He did knock, leave him alone. No, didn't hear him, get out. And that's what he was like. Jesus. Yeah, yeah, yeah he was Would very... he be like that to the first team? No, no. no. But he was brutal, he's pretty brutal. Jeepers yeah, he was governor. pretty brutal, yeah. Uh, for me, look, pretty simple one. This was a very selfish choice. I knew that I enjoyed this wine. It's a young wine, uh, but it's developed over a, over a year or two now. And the only way I can describe this wine is that it's not perfect, but it is absolutely perfect for me. And when I watch this person play, I just go, there is nothing else at this young age. Granite Xhaka. <laughs> no, I'm comparing this wine to my main man at the moment. He's really the flavour of the month in world football, but certainly for me in particular. Erling Haaland, I love him. I just think he's perfect. What, what are you calling him? Erling Haaland. Erling, okay. Is, I, thought, I actually, for a split second, I thought you called him Ernie. <laughs> the Ern Man. <laughs> Burton Ernie Haaland. No, I just look. I just think, obviously, quite young, got a lot to prove. But what we've seen in the two games that we have seen him in so far, just exceptional, perfect for me as a fan. And what I like to look in, you know, you know when I'm just watching a team that I don't support, he he ticks the boxes, and and that's very much this wine at the moment. Mark, cheers. I'll uh, I'll FaceTime you from South Beach, won't we? I can't wait, man. <laughs> cheers. Bye. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.